0: I'll invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 980, 981. Our passage today is one that can sound a bit confusing. And it's one if proper care isn't applied, it can actually lead one into erroneous thinking. But, But we've been given the mind of Christ, we're told. In chapter 2 of Philippians, we've been given the Spirit of Christ and the Lord tells us that His Holy Spirit, our, our guide and our counselor, will lead us into all truth. So let's ask that He'll do that now as we consider this passage, which can be a little bit of a challenging passage to rightly understand. Pray with me again, please. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord God, You... Desire good things for us. And you have given us many wonderful things. You have given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have given us your very self. You have given us your revealed word, your holy word. And you have given us your holy spirit. Lord, we pray that you will give us a special measure of that spirit this morning so that we might rightly understand and apply this portion of your holy word. Lord, we pray that you would do this for us as we pray for our good and for your glory. Amen. The passage that we'll primarily be looking at today is Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. But to help establish our context, I'll read first verse 27 of chapter 1, and then read again verses 1 through 11 of Philippians 2. Let's turn our attention again to the reading of God's holy, living, and inerrant Word. The Apostle Paul writes, verse 27 of chapter 1, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Down to verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Amen. Well, these two verses, verses 12 and 13 of Philippians 2, are are two of the most important verses in the Bible that help show us how divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together. We can be tempted to set these two things, God's sovereignty and our effort. We're, We're inclined to set these two things against one another. For for some people, they place an emphasis upon what man can do and what man must do. For most of us, though, I think we might be tempted to say that, that our salvation, and it's true, our salvation and also so much of our Christian life is of God. But we can be tempted to slide into thinking that it's all of God. And that we can just kind of stand passively by... And we allow God to be God and we just go along for the ride. We we might neglect passages like today's which speak of the importance also of human effort, particularly here as it relates to the role of human effort in producing obedience in the life of a believer. Is it God's work or is it ours that produces obedience? and leads to spiritual maturity? The answer really is yes. Both and. To to help us rightly understand our passage, let's consider first what Paul is not saying when he says, work out your salvation. Paul isn't saying that one must or that one can obtain their salvation by one's works. Because that would be anti-gospel. Early in our service we read Ephesians chapter 2. Where Paul himself tells us. You have been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not of works so that anyone can boast. And then there's Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy. By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Even this very book of Philippians, Paul in Philippians 3.9, Paul says it is his desire that he would be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law or comes by law keeping, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Then there's Romans 3.20 where Paul says that no human being will be justified in the sight of God through one's own works of the law. So if those things are true, and they are, Paul can't mean here in verse 12 that that we can somehow cause our own salvation by our own actions. Nor does he mean that once saved, our perseverance depends solely upon us apart from God. For God has promised eternal life to all those who trust in Jesus. So what does Paul mean when he says here to work out your own salvation? Well, to help us understand that, we do well to, to remember the broader context in which this passage appears. This is especially important and necessary for us given that first word of verse 12. Therefore, The use of that word in our passage directly links this command of of verse 12 to everything that comes before it in chapter 2. Paul makes a direct connection between the person and work of Jesus to the life of every Christian. Paul makes reference in verse 8 of Philippians 2 of how Jesus humbled himself before the Father and obeyed. He was obedient even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And the implication that Paul makes here should be obvious. Christ obeyed His Father in heaven. Therefore, so too also all those who are in Christ are called to obey. We also are called to submit to the will of God. And the Father's will for us, according to 1 Thessalonians 4:13, is our sanctification, our dying to sin, our growing in grace, growing in righteousness. 1 Thessalonians 4:3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, and 6 and through 7 and 11, What shall we say, then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who died has been set free from sin. You therefore must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6.20 You have been bought with a price. And that's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul says, honor God in your body. The therefore of today's verse connects back to the verses that preceded that speak of the obedience of Jesus. Our Savior obeyed. Likewise, we too are called to a humble obedience to the Father as well. The therefore of our verse connects also to the verses in chapter 2 that speak of Christ's exaltation. Jesus is enthroned in heaven. And He's been given the name that is above every other name, Lord. And to Him, we're told, every knee shall bow. Submission and allegiance are our proper response of faith to this God who has saved us. And that plays out in a humble obedience to His will, to His precepts, to His commands. The Lord's desires for us are always for our good. And our good will most be experienced as we embrace the freedom and the joy that comes to us. As we embrace His revealed will that's found in His Word, that's found in His commands. As the old hymn goes, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Verse 12 flows out of the verses that precede it. We remember, too, that following His humble obedience, Christ was exalted. Exaltation follows the humbling of oneself. That was true for Jesus. And God's Word says that will be true also for us. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He might exalt you. But verse 12 doesn't just connect to what precedes it in chapter 2, but also even what precedes it in chapter 1. This command to work out your own salvation connects to one twenty-seven. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Working out one's salvation relates to living one's life in a manner that can be said to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what is Paul's point? What's Paul saying when he says work out your salvation? Well, to a large degree, he's saying, live out of your identity. Live out of your identity as one who's been redeemed and saved by the Lord. Live out of your identity of being one who's been brought into union with Jesus. Live out of your identity of of being one of the redeemed of the Lord in whom the very Holy Spirit of God resides and controls. He's saying, live out of what is true about you. Live out of what the Lord has done for you and is still yet doing for you. It's this biblical concept that I share with you so often that the indicatives empower the imperatives. The indicatives, those statements of truth. And then the imperatives, the commands. The indicative, what is true, the imperative. What then we are to do. There are two indicative statements in verses 12 and 13. The first is, you have always obeyed. And the second in verse 13, God works in you. Let's consider that first verse of, of verse 12. You have That first indicative of verse 12, where Paul tells the Philippians... You have always obeyed. You have always obeyed in my presence. Now much more in my absence do the same. This this isn't the first time that Paul has encouraged the Philippians to obedience. He did that when he was with them years ago. And he again calls them to that here. He's challenging them now to an obedience even when he's absent. And the reason he needs to do that is because maybe the Philippians are a lot like you and I. You know how we can be very selective in when we'll be God honored? Okay? You know how it is. We're at home and we're in the middle of a little spat. Voices have been raised. Attitudes are being expressed. Anger is being manifested. We may be shouting, at our child, shouting at our parent, shouting at our spouse. And then that phone rings. And we have been so frustrated for the last 30 minutes, but then, oh, hi, how are you? I'm doing good, how are you? You know, right? We can turn it on, we can turn it off. Maybe when the apostle was present with them, these Philippian Christians were very godly in their their behavior. They mind their P's and Q's in the same way that you and I can do that when somebody might be present. But now it's been a while. It's been years since Paul's been with them. And, And there are hints that we've already come up against in this letter, and we'll see far more of that in the chapters to come. But it seems like there's some strife. There's some sin present. Whenever there's more than one person, I'm tempted to say, but even with one person, there's going to be sin present. But it seems as if the Philippians may may be slipping back into old sin patterns. Maybe pride's getting the best of them. Maybe certain people are demanding to have their own way. And that's why Paul says, don't just look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. In verse 14, Paul gives a command telling them to not grumble or dispute among them. There's some kind of conflict, it seems, in the church at Philippi. Some rifts in the relationships among the believers there. And into that, Paul appeals to the obedience that they showed to him when he was with them. He appeals to them to show a similar obedience in his absence. And that's so important because that's really going to be their primary reality, as Paul may not get back to them, or at least may not get back to them for quite a while, and that would probably be only a short visit. He tells them, don't obey to please me. Don't obey in order to be a man pleaser, but obey to please the Lord, for this is good and right. Now in verse 13, there's a very important indicative. A very important statement of what's true. Paul says, it is God who works in you. Or in the Greek, God is working in you. Here's what enables us to understand correctly what Paul means when he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Our working out is a response to God's working in us. God the Son humbled Himself and came to this earth in the form of a servant. And He obeyed the Father even to the point of death, even death on the cross. He died giving His life as an atonement for sin so that we might be freed from the reign of sin in our lives. And then he was raised from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. And he did this to save us and to deliver us from our sin. And now Paul's telling us how we're then to live in the light of these gospel truths. God's free gift of eternal life motivates us to an obedient response. Salvation has been freely and graciously given to us through faith in Jesus. And submission to the Lord and His desires for us as His people, that's our right response of faith to this free gift that He's given to us. Again, Ephesians 2, you have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. But now that same passage in Ephesians in verse 10 says we have been made to be his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is given freely through grace, but yet that salvation necessarily results into certain works on the part of the Christian. Which God Himself has ordained, working out our salvation is the Lord's expected result of His working in the salvation into our lives. And Paul speaks of of our working out of our salvation in verse twelve. It's probably best to think of Paul's use of the word salvation as sanctification. It's that concept that that Paul makes reference to in in chapter 1 and verse 6. I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's even a a hint of the the future glorification which will yet be ours as well. Verse 1, 9-11 It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all insight so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God the Father. New Testament (coughs) writers speak of our salvation in a number of ways. It's right for us to understand that we have been saved and that we are presently being saved and that we will yet someday be fully saved. Where we'll receive all of the blessings, all of the benefits that have been promised to us as those who have been redeemed by the Lord. Now, why must we do this? Why is it so important for us to apply ourselves to working out our salvation? Well, it's because of what we're told in places in Scripture like Hebrews 12, 14 which tells us that there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Our sanctification, our growth in holiness are evidences of a true salvation, of a true saving faith in Jesus Christ. Here I think of several passages from 1 John. 1 John 2, 3 and 4. By this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 1 John 3, 6 and 8 and 9. These are, are really heavy, solemn statements that we all need to hear and take heed of. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known known him. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of devil children of the devil whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God Now those are some challenging verses to understand too in that concept of of whoever keeps on sinning is not of God and you and I know we both sin each and every day in thought word and deed but do you feel the weight of those statements nonetheless. We are called to obedience. We are called to holiness. And it is a serious matter. And when we do not recognize that, when we deny that, we are denying the very gospel of Jesus Christ himself. Again, 1 John 1.5-7 This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. In no small part, learning to walk in the light, as John says here in 1 John, is comparable to what Paul is saying here in Philippians 2 when he says, work out your salvation. Working out your salvation is is learning how to live out the implications of the new life in Christ that the Lord has given to us. And of course, the ultimate goal of our sanctification and salvation is nothing less than being transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ Himself. That's the work that we're called to apply ourselves for, of becoming Christ. Not in our own power, but in the power of His Spirit. Paul makes reference of this high calling of God for us in Philippians three twenty and twenty one, when he says, "Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body." to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. And we, as Paul says, we we press on to this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're called in Philippians 3.16 to hold true to what we have have attained. This is what it means to work out our salvation. And if this depended upon our own abilities to make happen, we would be without a hope. But thanks be to God, we can have great hope because the Lord has promised that He will make it possible for for us to do this. The Lord has promised that He will enable us, that He will help us. He will help us to mortify our sins. He will help us to grow in holiness. As As Paul says in verse 13 here of how God is at work in each of you. And that same Spirit that enabled the Lord Jesus to submit to the will of the Father and to live in faithfulness and obedience, that same Spirit has been given to us through faith in Jesus. In Philippians 1.6, Paul saying, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. Now, in what ways does God work in our lives? Well, according to verse 13, if you look at it there, the Lord is at work in our lives both to will and to work for our good pleasure. The Lord's active in our lives even to the degree of Him impacting our wills and our affections. And one of the ways that we can work out our salvation as it relates to this is to seek to embrace the good desires of the Lord as our own. We're all familiar with those fleshly desires, those worldly desires to which our natural man responds to so automatically. Those desires, those temptations can seem almost unescapable and overwhelming. But even still, the Lord calls upon us to seek to put those desires to death. And He enables us to do that, He promises, through the provision of His Spirit. That same power that enabled Jesus to be raised from the dead has been given to us so that we might be victorious over sin in the same way that Jesus was victorious over death. Working through His Spirit, establishing us in the faith. Rooting us and grounding us in Him. Reminding us of all that's true or all ways that the Lord powerfully works to help us to work out our salvation. That's Paul's prayer in Colossians 1 where he prays that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good deed, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened in all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance with patience and joy. And so the follower of Christ is to live and to walk and to keep in step with the Spirit, as we're encouraged to do so in Galatians 5 and Romans 8. Friends, God's Word here declares that if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is at work in your life. God's Word declares here, if you have bent your knee to Him and if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, His Spirit has been given to you and He is working powerfully in you. And that's cause for us to be both incredibly thankful and incredibly hopeful. But as Paul says in in verse 12, it's also cause for us to live with a sense of fear and trembling before the Lord as we work out our salvation. With reverential fear and awe as we both rightly understand who He is and, and who we are as His creatures, we tremble before Him. But we also remember that through faith in Christ, He now relates to us as His dearly loved sons and daughters with appropriate submission to Him, we seek to submit our lives, to live our lives in such a way that brings Him glory. We live for His good pleasure. That's the calling of the Christian, that we would seek to glorify and enjoy God forever. We live Coram Deo, daily before the face of God, intimately, He living in us, and us living in Him as a result of our union with Christ, us living for His glory and for the gospel's advance in our lives and in the lives of others as we seek to work out our salvation before a watching, desperate world, showing forth the the glory of God as we live our lives as, as trophies of His grace, trophies of His mercy, of His love, and as we'll see next week as lights Shining in the world. Let's pray that the Lord would be pleased to do this in our lives. For God, that's our prayer. Would you cause it to be so? Lord, help us to live in a manner that rightly befits the glorious, incomprehensible, incomparable gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us. To live our lives in a manner worthy of your gospel. May we not defame the name of Christian. But instead, may we live in such a glorious and other-centered way. Not unlike how, how Andrea has been living before Tiffany seeking to love others well, living out the law of Christ, of loving our neighbor as ourselves, and loving you. God, continue to grow us in grace, continue to transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ. Lord, we forget that that is your objective for us. May we not be slothful in our response to your call for us to grow in grace, to grow in holiness, to grow in spiritual maturity so that we might appropriately show forth your glory. Lord, cause this to be true in us, we pray.